I'm Adam McGee. And I'm Andrew Snyder. And you're listening to Captured on Celluloid. On this episode, we are going to talk about something that is, I think, a little bit different to anything we've talked about before. Maybe similarities with one or two things that will probably come up in the course of this conversation. But in a lot of ways, I would say it's very, very different possibly even unique to anything I've ever seen before that I would eventually kind of come down as as being a film. And that is, in and of itself, directed by Frank Oz, created, written, and starring Derek Delgadio. This is going to be an interesting conversation because we're not going to be able to just fall into a lot of the kind of the ways that we work our way through so many of the movies that we talk about on this podcast. And I think we're going to end up talking about things that are deeper, Andrew. Um, dare I say, more personal. Are you prepared for that? How do you feel about that? I feel great about it uh, somehow. And I think this will I think this will let people get to know us even more than they already do. And I, I think I'll especially get the the chance to cut through some of the tropes and like jokes I make about myself on this podcast, which will be very interesting to go back to your original point is I, I think I'm guilty even more than a lot of people. And more than especially you is when we talk about a movie that I really like on this podcast is in, in saying that it's like nothing I've ever seen before. And I think this is probably the first time where I'm saying it and it's, 100% or at least 95% accurate. There's something that we've talked mm-hmm. about on this podcast before that I'll think I'll I'll reference uh in relation to this in uh, the way they both made me feel, but this is something wholly unique and something that both speaks to where my mind is in thinking about both my past and my future and society at large like as it relates to aging and the pandemic and all that. And it's also something that was a little surprising in that it's something that I don't, a type of entertainment or at least one element of it is a type of entertainment that I really generally do not like. So I think it'll be interesting to talk into that and delve into what makes this unique and like what makes this transcend the type of entertainment and the type of art form that you think it's going to be if you were just to get the tagline about who this guy is and what he's done in the past. Yeah, it's built entirely to defy expectations and conventions in terms of what people think it's going to be think things of its ilk are and i guess at this point what i'll say is that we flagged this up at the end of the last episode this is what we're going to do so i hope anyone tuning in that if you're listening now you have already watched this i think it would be very beneficial one i think it's really interesting i i love this i'll come straight out up front i love this i've had an incredibly strong response to it i've watched it a couple of times i believe andrew has also had a positive response i don't think this is for everyone but i do think no one would be worse off for sitting down taking this in as you know a piece of entertainment but doing so with kind of an open mind and coming out the other side and seeing what they feel what they're thinking about and with that, I mean, we're going to talk about it pretty openly. I don't know how much of the specifics we're really going to end up focusing on as much as the ideas that are at the core of what Derek Delgadio and Frank Oz are doing. But 
I guess in a way where this could be spoiled, which it can't really, and Derek Delgado himself believes that. I, I mean, I was reading a 2017 New York Times profile of him just before this show opened up in LA, I believe it was at that time. Um, and like the whole act was basically described through the course of the piece because he said, go ahead, describe it. Like, that's not what this is. It's not what it's about to just be like, well, this is what's happened. Now I can't watch. And I think that's very much true because there's a real impact, a real emotional impact that we get into that you see on screen. I would still say as the point of reference, it would be good for people to have watched this beforehand. So if you'd like to watch it, maybe go and do it now if you know a little about it or if you don't know anything and you're just intrigued enough by us being here and deciding we're going to talk about this on our podcast if you decide to just listen ahead and you haven't you could probably do that without even us talking about some details kind of ruining the experience for you and still come out the other side with something this is a spoiler warning but it's not a spoiler warning in a traditional sense is really what i'm saying there's an element of judgment here and I think people will pick that up pretty quickly in listening to our conversation and also then when they watch it. Can I throw up a specific spoiler warning or end message? Sure. At David Dunn 21 Friend of the pod, past podcast guest. Uh, you don't listen to all of them if you haven't seen the film. Use your best judgment going into this. I'm going to give you permission to listen to this, even if you haven't seen it, if you tell yourself, okay, I'm never going to see it. I would prefer that you see it, because I think you'd really like it. But I'm going to give you permission to listen. Because I you know, I want to make your commute home or whatever uh, you're doing at the end of your day. I want to make it uh, warmly inviting with the voice of Adam and Andrew. I, I don't know how often podcasts literally address just one specific listener. But that I think that applies more widely too. I think the direction I anticipate this conversation heading. Maybe it'll just be interesting even for people who don't plan on seeing it. But to begin with, I guess we're giving a strong possible recommendation. We're flagging up that we will be talking about this and that it's not exactly like your traditional movie um, or your traditional stage show, which it really is a combination of the two and something entirely different to both as well. So we can't spoil this in the way that you might because it's, I guess, more experience-driven than anything else. But with that, let's let's really get into it. And I, the place to start, I think, is just with... I want to know what you thought of this. We don't have to get into the really kind of heavy, deep elements of it into specifics right now. But just this was something that I threw on you at the end of our last episode... Um, talking about soul and pete doctor's films and it just came to me this is what i think we should do i had a pretty good sense that you would have known little to nothing and i think you probably did know nothing about this at the time i didn't really give you much of anything to prepare and so i'm guessing you probably went in like that and I'm curious as to how you found that experience or what you would say you thought of it given that. Because I think that could be how a lot of people listening who've decided to go ahead and listen without watching maybe, they may be encountering it like that. Because we haven't said much of anything yet, Andrew. Yeah, I did go in completely cold and that's probably the best way to experience anything. That being said, to his advice to the reviewer that you were talking about um, at the beginning, 
is it's a it, you can know exactly what's going to happen beat for beat and still not get the full sensation of what it is. And I will say that after viewing it, even in the middle of viewing it, I think it's something that made me more feel more connected to other human beings than anything I viewed or experienced in quite a while. And I think part of that might be because I don't get to spend as much time in rooms with human beings uh, anymore. But I think it really cuts to the core of what it is to be human and what it is to view yourself the way you view yourself internally and imagine and project how you think other people perceive you and how that impacts how you go through life and how you experience life and how you interact with other people and just overall your happiness to an extent or just like your sense of self. And that was a really shocking experience. I know you'd given it rave reviews, but like, I mean, you're hearing me tell this description and when it boils down to what's happening in the show is it's a exercise in storytelling with a very performative, caring, charismatic storyteller, and it's part magic show, and it's part audience participation, all wrapped up into one. And the beginning of that, those were the sensations that I came away with, and that everyone in those room, in that room, we're all dealing with the same thing. In we all are trying to figure out who we are and we're presenting one version of ourselves, and someone else might see a different version of, of us. And that's very interesting to think about. And so often, especially in kind of what we tend to be drawn to in forms of entertainment, Adam, is people can be think, think of actors as, you know, pieces on a screen for our entertainment. And I think people attribute a lot of those feelings towards athletes, but that this really breaks down that walls and just shows everyone as human beings. And it's do, does that through a very entertaining nature of storytelling, um, telling simplistic, easy to follow stories, some self-reflection on uh, Derek Delgadio's part, Delgadio's part. And also um, just, people in the audience experiencing his show. I think a lot of the ways the audience that's viewing this on Hulu or whatever it may be experiences the show is through the live audience's experience. And it's just really, when it all comes together, it's a truly emotional experience that I think is both surprising and uh, really meaningful when you're watching it. And as you reflect on it and think about how you feel about it going forward, obviously we both very much enjoyed this and we're very much moved by it. Yeah, so we're over 10 minutes in and we haven't actually said really what it is. And that is not just terrible podcasting on our part. That is something that's somewhat intentional because I think in even talking about this and the way you frame this, you've got to do so with a kind of, I don't know, a care and intent that reflects then what we're going to discuss because I could talk about this in a really glib way, and I probably would if I didn't respond to this. And I could be like, oh, Derek Delgadio is like a magician, and this is a stage show, and he does some tricks, he had, there's some audience interaction, and that's kind of it. And that's really not what it is at all. And I think the bones of the show are that you know, that kind of narrow labeling of him even as a person, of any of us, doesn't really work. 
And I think it doesn't work in day to day. It doesn't work in the sense of how we interact or understand others or ourselves, but it also doesn't really work for selling what this is. So I guess the, the best way of describing Derek Delgado is he's, he's a performer. He's, I guess, a performing artist. He's a writer. He's written a pretty extensively for this show, which is for the vast majority kind of long winding monologues, sometimes kind of running into fables and evoking all kinds of strong and kind of old as time images, often veering into the deeply, deeply personal. And throughout all this, he's weaving in a lot of emotion. And when I say a lot of emotion, I mean plenty of tears, also plenty of laughs. There's times where it is comedic. It's comedic in a way that I think is pretty typical of shows not like this, because I'm not entirely sure I've seen something like this before, but traditional kind of, you know, we're going to a theater to see, a magician is probably the wrong word even in trying to avoid labels here, but some sort of illusionist, some sort of, you know, I guess higher grade version of this, like standout examples come from people like, say, David Blaine, who's maybe the most extreme of it, but there is something to this kind of, I guess, magic on on a bigger scale, not necessarily the kind of scale that David Blaine often works with, which is, you know, actual scale where he puts himself like in a glass box suspended in midair. But in Derek Delgado's case, in an emotional scale and engaging with different ideas and really working a show that's, like really kind of tight thematically that's really focused and is insightful and incisive and kind of working to its point and making its audience feel, you know, well, this is what we're exploring here. That all kind of comes to the fore on this stage. I mean, what we're watching is it's a, it's clips from a collection of shows. I believe they did over 550 shows at an, an off-Broadway theater in New York. Uh, very small theater, only 100 or so people. Um, Delgadio doesn't perform in theaters or arenas bigger than that because he feels that at that point, you know, I guess that the magic of the magic is lost. You know, the bigger it gets, then people quite can't quite see some of what's happening or it's easier for people to lose a kind of, I guess, a connection with the performer and with that to become much more skeptical of what's going on, to really be taken out of it. And I, that's, that's the experience I've had at kind of shows like that. You can have that at even like, I guess, stand-up comedy. You know, there's a certain scale for one person on a stage trying to convey something that I think really works that retains a sense of intimacy where the audience can connect with the ideas and the performer and it can create a, a kind of special energy within a room so this is very much reflective of how the Gaudio works and trying to keep it like that so really we see this this story this kind of narrative story he's carved out for this particular show weaving in audience participation, weaving in completely different people and the different elements that they're going to bring to it every single night. He works through, I guess, 
the journey of his own life and his own kind of reckoning with who he is and who others see him as. And in doing so, not only does he kind of illustrate some of those kind of ideas and concerns for the audience, but he actually brings them right into it. Not in a not in a way that to me feels as kind of cliched or exploitative as again, you know, something that could be like this often would. Um, but in a way that's just a bit more gentle, a bit more human and engaging. And one of the things that I think is particularly notable here is it's easy to get lost and we probably will get lost in the ideas of say personal identity. And that will apply to Delgadio's own identity. And I guess the way he shapes the show around different elements and that, that brings everything to the fore for, for the, the audience too. But I, I think the project itself is, I guess to begin with, you've got to look at it zoomed right out and the identity that it's wrestling with to begin with comes from Delgadio writing it, being involved, and Frank Oz directing. And that is, like, these are the kind of people who just get labeled kind of easily, somewhat cheaply. Like Frank Oz, oh, the puppeteer, uh, where Frank Oz is a successful director who's directed multiple films and has done plenty of work beyond, like, his puppetry work on Star Wars and on the Muppets. Like, he's not just Yoda and Miss Piggy and Fuzzy Bear. He's done more than that. And I think it's easy to see why he would respond to this. And when it comes to Elgadio, he's someone that I had no knowledge of before I first heard about this and then watched it. But in reading since, he seems to have been something of a magician's magician for quite some time, as in kind of all of the top illusionists would know, like, respect this guy, look to see what he's doing, recognize him as someone who works on a a very high technical level but yet he is always a bit outside of that because of the ideas that he wanted to bring to his work and that's what we see here which is this isn't just like oh here's a show where i do some illusions and this is just the kind of the process of filming it so people can watch it from home like i, I don't know but I, there's a, a thing here i'm trying to think often of references and i keep stopping myself because I can think of references in, say, UK TV, or certainly just this side of the world generally, that people would know, but I, I don't think they translate at all to the US. And then there's, I know of people in the US who are probably the much better reference points, but I haven't seen their work here. Like, for example, in reading about them, there's supposedly a lot of Penn & Teller. Now, I know of Penn & Teller, but I'm not familiar with it. I also, like, is this a thing? Is this a thing in the same way where there will be other... I know that there's no shortage of magicians, illusionists who would have shows and shows on much bigger scales than this throughout the US, but is the kind of the TV special version of it, is that a thing? Yeah, where, like, David Blaine or whoever it was is going to make a car disappear kind of a thing. Right, like I know here, um, Darren Brown, I don't know if you've ever heard of Darren Brown, I've never particularly responded to him, but he was quite successful doing that sort of stuff. Uh, Dynamo, again, I don't know if you've ever heard of Dynamo. I've actually seen Dynamo live and in an arena, and it was like terrible. 
it just it's purely just take away all impact and just losing a sense of what this is about or what you can do um which i find interesting here even there's a there's an irish guy Keith barry that does some stuff that reminds me of delgadio but i don't know is there would you have some names that you could think of or that you've even seen and possibly not responded well to i mean i think you alluded to that before this wouldn't be on the surface the kind of thing you'd usually think is for you the only one that really like comes to mind that i was ever even even able to like notice i mean i knew who penn and teller were obviously but like chris angel i don't know if you're familiar with him oh yeah the mind freak, okay. he comes to mind i, I know which is like if an affliction t-shirt was a person is is <laughs> is chris angel like not not my cup of tea and it's like this sort of thing the, the one aspect of the storytelling that he's doing and then the the magician illusionist type of thing which is very much not something i'm drawn to when you combine them together it's almost in your mind like going into it if you hear us describing it without seeing it it might sound like the worst version of like tony robbins becomes the magician and that is something i would absolutely hate but it somehow transcends that and like but to reiterate the whole point, it's just like I can't begin to tell you how little I respond to magicians and that sort of thing in general. Like, even like even when I was like fifteen years old, when the mind freak was like fake putting cards through people's eyes and whatever. Like, if you told me, Adam, even like if you told me you were recommending something and it was about like an actual live magic show that is something I would just absolutely generally never watch. And yet here we are. What would you say though of not, not in and of itself, but of other things of that ilk. So if, if I was to recommend one of those other things, what do you think the end goal usually is for the average viewer? Or what do you think the people who do enjoy them tune in for? What do you think is the one thing that when it's done, they're saying to themselves or while it's happening, they're saying to themselves, they want to see something they don't believe like they and that they don't understand how it happened they want to be they want to be tricked in a, sure. in a way that's I, I, magnificent what i was getting at and i think you've got at it there too is that it's like how did he do that is the usual like that's the end goal of this is to make the audience go how did he do that i don't come away from this at all caring about how he did anything because my reaction and even thinking about it like after the fact it's all about you know what it made me think about what it made me feel that's that's actually what i'm interested in and i i think it's something that is so detached from you know any kind of traditional oh here's a a live magic performance uh, i'm going to do some illusions the audience are going to be involved it's it's always I've watched them and I've thought of it. It's, you have a discussion. You could sit around with family and it's like, how did he do that? I've, I've watched this twice and I, it's like, there are obviously things that you're like, hmm, okay. But the biggest moments in this show that you could ask yourself, how did he do that? The things that he doesn't actually just basically show you and tell you as part of it while he's doing it, which there are a couple of great examples. They are moments where the actual kind of the impact on the narrative that he's telling the emotional impact of what you see on screen at those points it outweighs any kind of feeling need to ask how did he do it or to even care 
And this is also the point where, to me, like, this is something that we talk about on this podcast because that's what makes it a movie to me. This That's what makes it a film. That's what makes it a documentary rather than just some live recording. Like, I guess stand-up comedy is the other thing. We don't come on here and be like, there's this great stand-up special. It would really have to have something. It would have to be doing something different, I think, for us to decide that's something we're going to talk about on, on this podcast. And when I watched this, I... I wasn't sure what it was when I first sat down to watch it. But when I finished it, I was like, okay, well, that to me is, you know, it's it's a movie. It's what I understand the movie to be because it was working me with its narrative and it was paying off with this emotional impact more than anything else. And I think that's what's really interesting. And that's where he's moving completely away from audience expectations of, you know, what he is and what this kind of show is necessarily is and that i think kind of sets it sets the table for all of the the more personal elements that he explores and what comes next do you think that's enough do you think we've now given people some sense of what this is (laughs) um i think so i think we have i have a, a comment more about what makes it a movie but that might be better served later in in, in the process so i don't want to step on where we were going next i think that is a good enough setup it's it's uh yeah we're heading the right direction there's one thing before we get into i guess working through the key ideas and key moments in and of itself that i want to talk about and that is this is the third thing i can think of there's probably more um if i included stand-up although i can't think of too much stand-up I've watched recently. This is the third thing, say, since COVID began, since lockdowns began, since our world changed, that I have watched that has been a a filming of a theatrical production that I have really responded to. Like, really responded to. And that I also think has kind of garnered conversation at a level that that kind of thing wouldn't normally now this is probably this is there's no probably this is definitely the kind of the lesser example um of this collection but i'm alluding to obviously we had was it june may june we got hamilton on disney plus that obviously has its own obvious impact for what it already was in the world um then later in the year we got david burns american utopia and now to begin 2021 we have this and these just aren't the kind of things i can think of myself watching other years really maybe american utopia although not something in that particular form like stop making sense is the version of that that i would have seen before concert films but it just seems like there's something about these kind of theatrical experiences that these three to me have stood out in things I've really responded to, really liked, and I, I think have made a bit of noise in the last year. And I don't know if you've any ideas for that, or does that even, would you say it feeds into what you were saying to begin with, in that it's capturing something of an experience that we can't actually have right now. Um, the ability to be in a small room with a group of people and to go through this. And then I don't know, 
also, just as a follow-up on that, does that then add to how people like you and I who are responding to this actually react to it? Like, I don't know. When we get into some of the stuff we'll get into later, I don't know if 10 years from now, if I watch this again and the world was normal, although who knows, I don't know if I'd respond in the same way as I would right now. I think that's definitely playing into it. Where something like this, now not taking the magic element away from it, just I'm just talking about a stage production or American Utopia or Hamilton. American Utopia was actually what I was going to compare this to in terms of like an emotional reaction when I got finished watching it. Um, so that's funny that you bring that up. I think these are things that I would watch anyway, but with this specifically, I, I don't think it would have the same impact if it were released just during any time. Um, or, or that's that's actually really tough to say because I was my point was going to be that like as you can see, being in that room is such an emotional experience, mm-hmm. and even after experiencing that through my television and as emotional as that was, I still imagine it only pales in comparison to what those people that saw it live are experiencing. But as I go into this take and start to turn myself around, I think the filmmaking at work really just makes it all work. And I think it is heightened because of the time, but I mean, the way the camera is moving along the stage and the props within the background and, Derek as he's telling various stories or describing various aspects of his life and then the close-up reactions we get to people having these realizations and reactions to to what's happening I I, I really think that it it, it would be as emotionally resonant at, at any point in time I, I started this out with one take and I finished it another because I think just the filmmaking and the camera work puts you in places that you couldn't necessarily get to if you're in that room. And and so I think that sort of bridges the gap as much as you possibly could. So it still probably can't replicate the feeling in that room, but it's crafted so well that, you know, even if we're not in a time period where we're locked at our houses and we can't go anywhere, you you still are are really able to feel what's coming across. Oh, I I think that's fair. And I I think in pairing it with, Hamilton and American Utopia, like part of that is, I guess, me tipping my hat to the filmmaking here and recognizing because I think one thing all three of them do, um, which is just not easy to do. And I guess this is why I'm just kind of curious about it and the timing and this kind of succession of. They're not they're not all the same thing, but there is there's certainly a similarity. Um, they're more like each other than they are like most of what else gets released I think is probably a way of putting it but all three of them capture both the stage show like they give you the feeling of oh I'm in the audience there and also they don't just rely on that they say no no but this is a film and we have cameras and we can move those cameras and those cameras can give us close ups and we can get great reaction shots and those cameras can also then their footage could be edited and we can use that to our to our advantage too. I mean the case here, um, if this was just a if this was just one show we were shown, if they didn't occasionally intercut from other nights and we see an accumulation of people and we see the different reactions that people have and how so much of it resonates for different people, different ages, um, like 
it it just wouldn't it wouldn't one work in the same way i guess to be as convincing for people who are into the magic element of it part of that is showing well a lot of people went through this like these aren't just plants you know if this was just one show um <laughs> no cuts and we're only seeing the one version of everything well then it's i guess it doesn't suspend this belief as easy with some of the things that to me just became a complete afterthought so that is that is a real credit to the filmmaking while also showing as close as you can for someone's home well this is what this is like as a stage show you know this is what it was like in the theater but, but i mean uh, in answer to the question i'm only you say oh you think you would have watched these anyway i think i would have watched these anyway but i can't think of other another time where these kind of films cropped up like this like three things kind of like that in such a short space of time and i'm sure there has been but i can't think of it particularly in recent years um like obviously in another year certainly two of these three things did this would probably have gone straight to streaming like it has i think it's it's really kind of perfect for streaming but American Utopia, Hamilton, they would both have been and were both intended to be theatrical releases. I just can't think of another spell of kind of these kind of films. I don't know if there's more to come. I guess that's part of the thing is it's a little bit different. Are we going to a year from now be like, oh, here's another kind of stage show thing that when presented like this is something we didn't expect. It's very interesting. It works well as a film. I don't I don't know. I I really don't know, but I just think it's interesting at a time when like theaters are closed. <laughs> everywhere in the world, everywhere in the world that matters in terms of um certainly being a hub for theatrical production of any kind, whether that's musical theater, whether it is like traditional theater, whether it's comedy, you know, that that whole world is closed. It is it is non-existent right now. The fact that these kind of things are popping up and not just popping up but they're actually really good is something that i just find interesting it's i guess it's something to monitor um maybe it just feels like a product of this time as a quirk of of the timing or maybe it is something more i don't know let's let's get into it of itself though i guess in terms of the meatiest elements of it so i guess one of the simplest things that we should outline we won't dwell on every detail to try and avoid a sense again of spoiling this where we can, but there are some key things to understand. So the show is very much about identity. Derek Delgado opens up the show with an anecdote, I guess, a personal anecdote where it at the at the time it seems quite abstract, um, very engaging but quite abstract in terms of how it relates to himself, how it relates to what we're going to see, it all comes out, it all works in the end. But he begins to explore how one particular person saw him, how he couldn't understand why they saw him this way, how they were virtually a stranger, he'd hardly talked to them, and they came out with a a pretty bold comparison for him with someone else. And from that point on, it begins to unpack identity. Before the show begins, and we're shown it just as the, the film kind of opens, the 100 or so audience members, they come in, they're greeted by a wall of white cards, every single one of them saying the words, I am, 
and then the options that follow varying significantly from professions to descriptive terms basically just giving people the option to well not that they know it at the time at the time they might think oh this is just a fun thing um it's more than that it ties very deeply into i guess some of the the greater payoffs in the show but giving them a chance to define themselves and to set out, well, this is how I want to identify myself at this time. Some people take it seriously. Others don't. And they'll pick things like Ninja, I think, is the example given in it. Um, but this is a kind of key element to set up. So the show is engaging with Derek Delgado wrestling with his own identity, trying to figure out and I guess understand why other people see him a certain way while also showing who he is in an entirely different way. This is all done interwoven with a variety of kind of set pieces, some pretty simple, like uh, I'd say pretty simple, not to imply that I could do them, uh, but just in terms of kind of visually in a cinematic sense, like some stuff that's just hard work. Um, incredibly high level card work but card work all the same um, and then some that are much more kind of emotional, psychological and I guess just generally more abstract to even kind of think about or to get across explaining but what I'll say is that I I had really strong reaction to this emotional reaction, I've watched it twice I've cried twice not something that happens to me very often. And I think there's there's elements of that that are worth unpacking. Because I think they say something about what this is, what makes it good, what makes it something that we both responded to. And really to also, you know, what its ideas are and what it's trying to achieve. One, and I think this is important for those listening who are just going to recoil at this, is this is just an incredibly emotional film. I don't mean that in terms of like, you're going to be sobbing from start to finish, nor am I suggesting that that was my experience with it. I just mean there's a lot of kind of very open and outward kind of expression and exploration of emotion. And for some people, they're not going to handle that very well. I don't have an issue with that. I, I would consider myself a very open person emotionally in terms of if I'm happy, I'm happy. If I'm sad, I'm sad. If I'm angry, I'm angry. And I'm open to that and feel like, you know, I don't have a problem with all of that being out there with myself or with other people. And so this doesn't bother me. But I, I do think there are people who just may ultimately miss what the point of this show is because they won't necessarily be open to taking in the emotional element of it and will instead try to focus on the magic, which is not, I would say, the way to to engage with or to really get anything, enjoyment or anything more than that out of this show. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that. And I think what spoke to me most is the, both the, the people taking their card, choosing 
the identity that they want heading into the theater and then the idea that he gets into of well he sees himself as a dog but someone else sees him as a wolf or the or the roulatista which is basically you know risk taker nothing to lose type of a person and i think that's that's what i identify most with because i think you know in different aspects of our life adam i think we're playing different characters to an extent and often on this podcast i might make self deprecating jokes about being you know an anxious person or a nerd or things like that that you know loves richard linklater movies and is pretentious and that sort of thing. And that's, that's maybe more how I see myself and how I'm presenting myself to a bunch of people that don't really know me. that can't ever see me. that don't interact with me on a daily basis that hear me talking to you for an hour to two hours every week. Um, that's how I'm presenting myself. Whereas in my, in my, my everyday life, I mean, I've been working in sales for the last seven years, so I have to be outgoing and engaging and, you know, going to, Back when the world was normal, going to conferences, shaking strangers' hands, talking to them about nonsense, talking to them about things I like, making small talk at, at like a family gathering. I think my parents would say that if anyone in that room is likely to say something uh, that's going to offend, uh, and in many cases, conservative relatives, or, or who's going to be the loudest person in the room, it's oftentimes me. And so I think one of the things that I take away, and it's not the only thing, it's just the the double-sided coin of identity and in many cases probably more sides to that and how you see yourself how other people see you and kind of if you're able to learn to recognize who you are to everyone else and be that person or be, just be whoever you want to be and I, identify the way you want to identify yourself and it's just uh, there's a lot more that goes into it than that, but that I think that's the thing that resonated most with, most with me is just kind of the different ways in which people see themselves and are seen by those around them, and also where he's where he starts off. I think the show and and one part of it is so often in these settings, like say it's say it's a bar for mm-hmm. for thirty somethings, or you're at a networking event. The first question you often ask someone or they ask you is like, what do you do? Yeah. Like what is like so many people have an identity wrapped around a job. And I could say, like I said earlier, I'm a salesman. I'm also a brother, husband, dog, dad, son, (laughs) uh, movie fan, sports obsessive. And like all of these things make me who I am. Not just one of them. But, but when you're asked that question, what do you say? Salesman. Right. And this crystallized, watching this crystallized, I think it's part of, it's one of a number of reasons I responded to it. I mean, the, the parts that I really emotionally respond to most are not necessarily things I see in myself. I responded to some of the extreme emotion you see on screen, um, which I think, variety of factors. Um, there's things I can understand from my own life, people around me, recent events in my life from our current time we're living in. I think there are things that are just there and there'll be a universality to some of that. I think if you've got kind of, (laughs) if you've got a beating heart, I think there's some things in this that I would be very surprised that people aren't responding to them in a kind of in an open way. But then maybe I'm wrong to say that because I understand not everyone is necessarily like that in terms of with their emotions, with their feelings. But something it crystallized for me is that, you know, what do you do? 
So you know this uh, because you know me a few years now. And I think actually quite a few people listening, if they've listened to me and followed other things I've done in recent years, will have a sense of this. Um, but that's a question that I really, really grew to hate over a number of years. Like it would really, really just kind of, I don't know, throw me off balance in part because I didn't have a simple answer for it. And that wasn't really saying something to me about myself, as in it wasn't, it wouldn't bother me in a way of, you know, I don't know what my identity is, which I think is something that kind of comes across a couple of audience members. They say that themselves about the, you know, the prospect of being confronted before the show starts with a wall of I am followed by words and not being able to pick something, not being able to see something that they feel as them. I've never kind of encountered that. I'm, I would say, pretty sure of myself. Um, I can say I don't care what other people think of me at all. Like, outside of, obviously, people who I care about. I care about what they think of me. But beyond that, I don't care. What I do care about, though, and... I think this is an important distinction, is how I present myself to other people. And so part of that would always be, you know, family gathering, whatever, as you said, whatever social event, you meet new people or something you haven't seen for a long time. It's like, oh, what do you do? What are you doing now? All this kind of stuff. And whatever, over the last five, six, seven years, I could say, oh, I'm, you know, I'm studying, I'm a student. I was a student twice. Uh, I worked in retail selling consumer electronics for a number of years. At the same time, I was also like, I guess, putting more of my energy, not I guess, definitely putting more of my energy while I was doing that at one time to being a student, at another time to covering the MBA. Um, then in all of that, I also had this thing of I'm covering the MBA. This is what people follow me on social media for. This is what I talk about. Except the real thing is I care about movies more than anything. And so when someone would ask me that question, and I, I think particularly going back to when I was when I was in a job that I was working purely for money, um, initially to put myself through college, secondly to, you know, build up some savings to work towards something I wanted to do differently, then kind of as filling a gap while I was also doing something else some person who reads the matter comes up to you and you're like, oh, so what are you doing? <laughs> it's like, where do I go with this? Where do I begin? Uh, it's like, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give you an air long break at this, but it's something that I would now have a much easier answer for. But at that time, it, it irked me enough to think about it, that it's still there, that when I watched this, I was like, there are people who, may not feel assured in themselves, who don't have the easy answer for it career-wise. Just to, also, there are a lot of careers where it's not easy to just be like, oh, I am a, you know, not everyone is a nurse, a doctor, a lawyer, um, whatever, even a salesman. A salesman is something that you can say, here's one word, and you're like, okay, I, I at least have the gist of it. So there was something for there that, that really kind of spoke to me personally in terms of, like what a dumb fucking thing. Like what a what a weird societal construct we have that this is how social interactions 
are like initiated. This is how we get to know people is by being like, what do you do? As if as if that's really what anyone is about. I don't think I'm speaking out of line. So the vast majority of people, you know, don't necessarily do a thing that they want to define them. Um, or that they would call their greatest passion in life. There are, there are very few lucky people who can do something that they love or even just do something they like. But that's not everyone. The fact that this is how we operate and this is how we label people, come to define people, and I guess also really make judgments of people for better and for worse is kind of insane. And... In spite of the fact that I had my own experience of going through that kind of, well, what, how do I answer this question? Like, what, what have I to say here? Um, particularly at a time where I could have said, oh, you know, I'm, I'm an assistant manager in this place or, you know, whatever. That sort of, that, that wasn't how I would have wanted to present myself because it wasn't true you know but it's what's the easiest way for someone else to understand this what can i give someone just to move this along like the fact that we do that as people is very strange and i think gets at some of the some of the emotion in this film that just gets shut off in just general interaction because people people just choose to talk about like to talk around things what I'm I'm waffling on here. I hope it's coherent, but I I think you might have some sense of it. Like, what is the point of people being like, "What do you do?" That's that's one of the big things I came away with from this is that you know we all know that people are more than what they do or whatever. Even if it's not that, whatever one word answer they could give to that, yeah, that has persisted and continues to persist as something people people do and i don't know i don't know what my alternative is luckily andrew it's probably another year before we'll be like in social situations or we're meeting lots of new people uh things aren't going great maybe you could get there sooner i don't know i'm i'm looking at how things are rolling out here and i'm like i've probably got another year to figure this out but i don't know if the next time i'm in that kind of situation if i'm going to be leaning off with what do you do why don't we ask, what do you like? What are you interested in? See, that's that's a very interesting thing because here's the way I've always viewed it and that this, this show, film, whatever you want to call it, really crystallized for me, is that it, it reminds me of back in college when you would ask someone at a party, what, what are you studying? What's your major? And it's like, and, and now when we do it with careers, it's like we're measure, we're measuring one another and deciding is what I've devoted my life to more meaningful or ha- does it have more clout than what you do? And it's kind of a in a subtle way that we don't really necessarily think about consciously. It's a pissing contest. And, sure. and it's stupid and it doesn't reveal anything meaningful necessarily in in most cases in some cases it might like if you are a nurse or a doctor or a teacher um in... but still still like it doesn't it doesn't in those cases there correct there are there are bad people <laughs> there are certainly complicated people who do those things i i certainly don't think that's the majority i think there are 
there are one word answers, there are professions, there are whatever you wanna, way you want to put it that you could give to that, that you could from that say, well, there's something of that person's character in the fact that they want to do that, that they do that every day. And I've got some sense of who they are. At the same time, there are people who will give that answer who that is not true for. Yeah, that's that's fair. And I I think like to me a better way to ask that question to your point is like when we get to a point <laughs> where we can be in rooms with people, even at at work. My favorite thing about Zoom meetings, Adam, in the business world is like even if you know the answer but you haven't actually had the conversation with the person, the question is always like, Well, where are you based? Where are you located? Oh, I'm in North Carolina. It's cold today. Oh, you're in Texas and it's warm. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> Whereas, like, <laughs> it might be a more interesting conversation. Be like, what's the good? What's the best last book you read? Or what? What's you seen any good movies lately? Or like, what do you like to do? Do you paint? Do you play guitar? Tell me anything about yourself. Do you have kids? Whatever it may be. What do you like to do on weekends? Do you like to go hiking? Do you, do you, do you like to? go to wine tasting what do you like to do that doesn't have to do with your profession because that honestly tells me more about you than than anything else uh so yeah maybe this show and this realization will be uh, a shift in at least mine and your consciousness rather than the consciousness at large adam because i don't know how many people are gonna seek this out on netflix uh or hulu sorry uh the streaming wars are really getting to me i'm gonna need I mean, we got Paramount Plus coming down the line, uh, along the line soon. At a certain point, it's going to become too overwhelming. But, yeah. I think your point, though, like those other questions you asked, they are, if you get talking to someone at a party, after they do that, what do you do? If you if you are talking to them, and you're like, oh, you know, if you're enjoying talking to them, and that's a whole other thing in its own right, um, and the conversation keeps going. You are going to get to those things. And that's where the conversation becomes real. So why why does anyone persist with what do you do? Because, like, what are you interested in? Or what, what do you like to do? Are much better and also more efficient questions in a lot of ways. Because the answer of that will not only tell me more about you. It will tell me more about whether I want to talk to you. Um... There might be people who I would like to talk to who they could answer the what do you do question with their job. And I'm like, yeah, I don't want to talk to them. And I think certainly the other way around, there could be people who answer that question in a way that doesn't say anything. And if I then get to what are you interested in? I could be like, well, this is a complete and utter waste of both of our time here. We just, you know, it, it, that is getting to what who a person is, what makes them tick. Um, so much quicker than the way we do it. And in a way that I don't think undermines people in the same way, that doesn't put the kind of pressure on people. Like that's, that is striking in this film in the, I guess the really big kind of wow moments that kind of wraps up the movie is you're getting to see people react to, I guess the sense of feeling seen and um, whether they're proud of what they're being seen as or not. You can see that in people's faces. You can see the people who, when things start to unfold the way they are, 
as Delgadio starts to work his way around the room the way he does, that they want to disappear into the ground because of the choice they've picked, even though they at that point have already owned up to the fact that they picked it genuinely identifying as that. I think that says something about just kind of interpersonal and relationship dynamics that we all we all operate under that is just it doesn't work who is it benefiting why why and how would conversation be better for starting off in that way and you're right there is something that is like classist i guess um no matter what class you're coming from in asking that question there's a there's an element of snobbery there's an element of you know what do you do I also wonder, is there are times the person who leads with that, are they, are they leading with that to then, you know, just so they can then tell you what they do? Where, who cares? Like, I don't care what anyone does for money. That's not interesting. Like, I, maybe there's certain cases, sure, that I'm like, oh, I'm interested in that thing that you do to make your living. But it's it's not the thing that is going to, like, really shape my opinion or make me want to know or not know a person more or less it's just it's a long way around that i don't think benefits anyone and it certainly it's got that in in the film and in the original stage obviously in ways that are i guess much darker and deeper as well than anything we're talking about like when delgadio talks about his own life um his own family life and what he describes as a secret that he was trying to hide and a part of his identity that he was trying to hide and the reasons for that, that's that's tapping into something that's really sad. But it does come into, like, why, why? Why is this a thing? Why has society evolved in a way where this is how we interact with each other? This is, like, our, our base point for who are you, you know? when it really has nothing to do with who you are. So I, like, for people who are listening who haven't watched, maybe part of this is interesting, maybe part of this is just like, uh, like, what are these going on, these two guys going on about this um, kind of head in the clouds <laughs> ideas of identity. But I do think the film provokes in a very genuine way. It provokes the viewer into thinking about this. And to understanding how what might be a throwaway question for some could actually be a question that, if not necessarily hurting someone else, it's not necessarily, it's not getting the best out of someone else. It's not doing the most to make anyone's encounter better or to really get a sense of who someone is or to just, I guess, see another person. Like there is a one of the set pieces in in the show is purely based on you know the idea of context and it uses an object that delgadio tells a personal story that provides context to it and he stresses how none of you will see that object as just what it is because you have context for it and that is like it's it's not i'm not doing some extraordinary reading into the text he's talking about people he's talking about people that you know and people that you don't know and the person that you could walk past on the street and, you know, kind of judge them for whatever reason without actually having a sense of who they are. Or the person that you might judge based on 
what you view their identity as rather than having any kind of appreciation for the you know the multi-layered being that they are and the various other elements that play into who they actually are in what setting with who and at what point that all comes together to give some sort of true sense of you know self and their identity so it kind of in a way that's incredibly entertaining i just think really well executed like we haven't talked about the illusions and the magic because i think it would be almost off-putting or would be selling it as something that it isn't really to do that one it is worth saying i think the stuff he does is really impressive like he's clearly really good at this i love his delivery i love his performance i love how he has decided that it's not enough or it's not interesting enough to him to just simply get up and be like here I am, I'm going to do card tricks, I'm going to do some illusions, and you're all going to love that because you love card tricks and illusions. He wants to use that to say something more and to explore the kind of thing that is more typical of other art forms. Film, TV, music, literature, theatre, you know, you could keep going. He's worked into his writing of his performance the kind of ideas that are typical of all of those other forms. And yet he is using the thing that he is incredibly talented at as a kind of basis for it. And I think that works and makes it very entertaining while also just back half. I mean, the last 20, 25 minutes just packs a colossal punch. At least it did for me. Yeah. Can I talk about uh, specifically, I think something that is one of the, the set pieces or one of the recurring bits that I think was my, my favorite part of those, um, I'll throw up another spoiler alert, but uh, I think one of the the things that could have gone so wrong and t- and turned into like the the head in the clouds um, moment, I guess that, that you were describing, you and I sitting here just like having this pretentious conversation over high tea and trying to figure out who we are to one another and that sort of thing. But there, there's a recurring thing in every show um, where they make a kind of a allegory or metaphor, whatever you want to call it to a captain's log or a a ship log or whatever. And they bring out this big book and they ask for a volunteer to come back to the show tomorrow, the next night, the next showing that person that volunteers and is then chosen leaves the show at somewhere near the end point, takes the book, writes down what they imagined the ending was, and then come back, comes back the next night and then reads it. And I think it's all tie dye and any of that sort of thing, but that part kind of breaks away from it and is really just kind of a exercise in creativity to me Mm -hmm. and public speaking and making yourself vulnerable in front of a bunch of people you don't know. And, you know, that could come across as Tony Robbins airport seminar motivation BS, but I think it's a really effective tool. And I really loved from a filmmaking perspective and just from the show perspective, getting to see the montage of all the people who did return the next night. And the it, and it looks in the book itself also looks incredible as in the just varied ways that people decided to fill out their entry. And, and in terms of size and an exterior view, it's like Joe Biden's Bible from the inauguration. If, <laughs> uh, if you could picture that, but just the diverse group of people. I mean, we've got, people of of different genders of different race um different ages that were were chosen to be this person for a particular show and then came back and you know t- 
told their story of how they imagined the ending. And I, I just really, really enjoyed that. And that was one of the things that really tied my experience together. And then we obviously get to see the ending, but the the actual ending and the ending of the show is, is nothing compared to what these people created in their minds. Yeah. And it also like, that is perfectly of a piece with the kind of the thematic ideas of the show, which is, you know, the real, the imagined, and, you know, when we consider all of this, if we get all of the pieces, then we get something that's actually true. You know, it's not about, you know, pure kind of uh, verisimilitude, where it's it's just, well, we're just going to show you exactly what happens, and that's it. You've got a true account of it, because that isn't a true account of it. The true account of it is getting inside of, you know, particularly also, I think it, that's interesting to go back to our earlier conversation about, like, these stage shows that are being filmed that, that we're responding to this year. That is an interesting device for the the later viewer at home because we are getting a chance to see the perspective and to hear the perspective in the person's own voice, multiple people, of what they felt the show was to when they were there to then what they imagined it was when they left. It's, it's just it's a very kind of playful and interesting way to engage with the audience in the space, the actual theater audience, but then also to to work at an extra added layer when this becomes a film. It's a really, really kind of clever device at the heart of the show, just as much as the opening kind of identity cards are very much kind of central to what in and of itself is. Have you got anything else? Uh, not really. I think you know, to talk about <laughs> this show and what it is, we have to talk so much about ourselves and, and what it meant to us and like reflect on how we view ourselves and how we think people view us. So that can make for a very uh, interesting conversation. And for those of you listening that have stuck with us here, uh, apologies for my self-indulgence and to, to how I view myself and how I view the world. But, you know, don't apologize. This is come on. This, We're this, take ties, from this. this ties exactly into everything the show's all about. My, uh... Yeah, don't take don't apologize. Um, we're going to take away from this. That we're going to stop asking other people stupid questions. <laughs> and um, don't don't apologize. I don't think there's any need to apologize. I think. The only way to talk about this, and I, I I wanted to talk about this because I think it's really good. Like, aside from it being something that I responded to, I just think it's really clever. It's really good. We can't talk about this in the way that, like, last week we talked about Soul and we talked about Pete Doctors in our films. It's just not possible. I think the way we have talked about it and about what comes around it is getting to the heart of what's there in a way that people who watched will hopefully, you know, hear some of the things they've talked about or some things that are kind of in conversation, what they were thinking about after it. And the people that haven't watched it will say, okay, well, if I watch this now, I have a sense of what it is and what ideas come to them from there is also interesting. So I, I think we've, we've done the best that could be done to talk about this particular film in this way. So no apologies, Andrew. Andrew is the apologizer. He pulls his card <laughs> from the wall. Yeah, well said. I mean, and you know, I, f I feel like you may even be able to truly understand me and Adam a little more 
you know you know how we came to be doing what we're doing and now you you know a little more about the uh, the souls and the internal mechanisms of this redneck from north carolina and uh one of the top three irish irish people in the world thank you for that that's in your rankings just to be clear Eh. for the universal (laughs) ranking we have i guess my last question is having watched it and particularly having watched it responded to it and seen the way this unfolds would you like to go to this show um i think i'd still go see it in person even having this that, that's what I'm saying. Would you, is this something, and particularly now having seen it, I don't mean that in terms of you know what's happening, possibly as much as I mean you know what you're opening yourself up to or letting yourself in for, would you Would you go? Oh, yeah, I think it'd be an incredibly healthy process for anyone, especially like Adam, as we're talking, like as honest and open as I get publicly is on this podcast with you. So subjecting myself to something that is really going to make me experience that in a room full of people I don't know. And, you know, maybe, maybe I'd even volunteer to, to be one of the people that goes on stage. I was going to ask that too. Yeah. Would you, would you volunteer to do You know, that? if I was, depending on what my trip in New York was like, if I was staying for another day, um, yeah, you know, I'd, I'd come back, I'd read my captain's log, uh, recording, I know there there are some other people that get to go on stage. I think it might have been depending on what card you were, I think, or yeah, at random, depending what card. You so pick. I, you know, it would be nice to to be pulled on stage for that. But it, at the very least, he's going to stare into my soul and read me. So I think, <laughs> so I think I would subject myself to that for sure. I do too, and it's because of it's because of what this is. Because I would normally avoid like the plague a show like this where i felt like there was a prospect of some illusionist roping me into some sort of audience participation that i didn't want to be a part of like i don't want to be hypnotized by some idiot for like the abusers of a room that's not my thing that's not what happens here though um and i i would i there's something about it that does seem quite interesting being also just to like even watching at home, I think there's a palpable energy you get through the last, certainly the last 10 minutes, but I think even going before that to the, the big set piece before that involving letters, I don't know how crazy I would be if my, if my card was pulled and I ended up opening letters on the stage and going through what those people go through. Cause that seems like a lot, but I do think just generally, yeah, there's, there is something that, would just be very fascinating to be a part of and to actually to like sense to feel in that room while a lot of that unfolds that that would have been very fun i also like the show is done and i assume he's never doing it again because you don't release this if you plan on doing more of that show because now you'll have like every weirdo showing up wanting to come back the second night you know and and also they've seen the end of the show now so that that doesn't work so i guess we'll never have that opportunity but um if another Derek delgadio thing pops up at some time it will have my attention for someone who i didn't know who they were before this came out um i would certainly if i heard about something i'd i think i'd be there you know adam i i talk about my identity and how it relates to uh how i view myself 
and my career and that sort of thing. And, and maybe I should just become an illusionist that has very emotional <laughs> experiences with people on stage. I got a big, um, less Derek Delgado, more Joe Blute from Arrested Development vibes here. Yes. I demand to be taken seriously. All right. We've got lots to look forward to in a future episode um, when Andrew starts performing magic. I don't know how it will work audio, but uh, we'll figure that out. That's it for this episode, though. We will be back next week. We are going to talk about um, one of the higher profile movie releases of this year. It is coming out, I believe, in a couple of days from when we're recording right now. So let me check what date that is. I think it's coming out on Friday, February 12th. It's Judas and the Black Messiah, directed by Shaka King, um, originally going to be a big Warner Brothers kind of high-profile, two-movie stars awards play, and one of the casualties, or who knows, maybe the benefactors, we might have a better sense of that next week, from the HBO Max kind of offload so it, it will land on hpl max i think it will be available kind of pvod elsewhere around the world so next week we are going to talk about judas and the black messiah until then thanks again to all of you for listening make sure you subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts if you want to hear more going forward and you can also find us on twitter at captured on cell uh, i am a podcaster andrew is also a podcaster I think that's that's one identity we can we can both agree on. And we'll be podcasting again soon. So until next time, thanks all of you for listening. Thank you, Adam. Thanks, Adam. <laughs> <laughs>